folks, you're listening to Wormwood, a serialized mystery. I'm David Acampo, and I'm bringing you the next installment of Wormwood and the Final Postmortem. Our postmortem series is our discussion show where we talk about the series, look behind the scenes, talk to the writers, actors, etc., give you some announcements, some teases. In this case, we are talking about Wormwood Revelation. We gathered together the writers and recorded a lengthy discussion show roundtable. And last time we brought you the first half of that. This time we answer your listener questions. We kick it off with uh, the first question, which is, what are you going to do next? Which is what most of you asked us. So we may not attribute that question to everybody, but we did read all the questions that we received. And uh, we really appreciate uh, the fact that you care what's coming next. So we talk about that as best we can. Um, But, you know, stay tuned because there's going to be some more uh, news shortly. We can't say everything yet, but we tell you what we can. So let's go ahead and get started with the second half of the Wormwood Writers Roundtable discussion and your listener questions. So with, with all that out of the way, um, I want to get down to the listener questions. Um, and we got a... <laughs> I wanted to take a... That was, that was purely for me, guys. I wanted to take a detour through the original Bible. Um, uh, and I think some people might find it interesting. If not, you know. Fast forward. Fast forward to that part. <laughs> so, so by and which far, is, which is saying a little too late at this point in time. Never. <laughs> okay, so now we're on to relevant content, and if you did fast forward past that part, wow, you're psychic. <laughs> and never mind. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, so, listener questions by and. By and large, the, 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 the most asked question is, what are we going to do next? Uh, this was asked by Kim Durham on Facebook, who said, now that Wormwood is over, what's next? Do the writers and talented cast have further plans together? Uh, Gary Firash, and if I'm mispronouncing your names, I'm very sorry, people, um, asks, when do the spinoffs start and what are they? This is not really a question, but more of a request. Um, he also follows that up, as suggesting that since he won't give Crow back his hand, maybe the hand should have its own series. I don't mean a series <laughs> about people that encounter the hand, but the hand itself. And the cool yeah. thing is, no one comments on the fact that it's a hand. We can assume <laughs> it wears a hat and scarf. <laughs> so I, I switch that. The problem is, in an audio drama, a hand doesn't have a mouth. <laughs> well, you know, it could open it. and close. It could open and close. It could be like you know, on, on South Park. Morse code. Jennifer Lopez on South Park, where Cartman plays Jennifer Lopez on his hand. And you could do something like that, but someone would have to be you know moving the hand back and forth, something like that. Well, if we, we could sell it, we could sell it. Narrated it. No, really, just <laughs> tapping out Morse code, and it would oh, be perfect. a huge hit on submarines. Yeah, perfect. That would be fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, it, it, it would have to end. Every episode would have to end with the hand hitchhiking out of town. Play the Incredible dun, Hulk dun, sad dun, piano dun. music. Uh, well, so a lot of people asked that question. Um, that was just a few of them, but for everyone uh, that that asked that, um, we can't tell you it's top secret. Exactly. We can we can say a little bit. We can say okay. we can say a few things. Well, you know what? First, let's 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 skip the wormwood stuff. And I just like to ask you guys: Is there anything that you'd like to plug or talk about that you're working on um, right now, even if it's just in general, or anything that you want uh, people to know about that you're working on that's not related to wormwood? I have a huge rubber band ball going right now. <laughs> <in my head. laughs> 
Um, no, uh, oh my god, I thought you were going to say something different. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I got, I got one of those going. Um, no, uh, I, uh, let's see. I do, I do a podcast with Dave called uh, Fuzzy Typewriter. Um, where we talk about story, storytelling, art, and artists. We talk about movies, comics, uh, books, everything. We talked about the social network recently, a uh, comic book called uh, Black Sad, um, Scarlet by Brian Michael Bendis, things like that. Oh, great um, comic. So that's, so that's our, uh, our thing going on. Um, what else? Um, and you write for iFanboy.com. I, I do. I write, I write for iFanboy.com, which is a uh, comic book website. Um, I, I usually write single issue reviews and uh, collected uh, edition reviews, um, best of the week in covers, things like that. Um, and some just, of the like, funnier content that comes out of, out of that site comes from you too. It's uh, probably thing in Tuesday Showdown, which is we take who would win in a fight between this person and this person, um, <laughs> which is glorified fan fiction. But it's, uh, it's but if it's you a- are a fan of comics, you've got to read that because Paul actually puts his all into every one of those, and it's always this piece of prose fiction um, that uh, you know is is a really a story that's often very funny. So yes. I highly recommend sometimes, it. Sometimes there was there was something you wrote within the last month and I, I wish I could remember it but it I literally laughed out loud in my office and had people walking over to me <laughs> I've, I've, people have yelled at me for it so yeah um and we do, uh, sometimes I, I get really into them like I did a Solomon Kane versus uh, uh Etrigan the demon Kirby's demon character that was a lot of fun uh, and then there's some ridiculous ones like Han Solo versus uh uh, Mal Reynolds and uh, Heath Houston from Fear Agent. Uh, those are a lot of fun. So, yes, yeah, so that's, that's that's basically that's that's where I hang my hat every day. Um, so that, that's me. Okay, Tiffany, you have any projects you're working on right now? Any writing? I'm writing a book, but it's not anywhere near where I feel confident telling anybody really anything about it, other than it's an adventure story. And maybe one day you'll see it published. Maybe. Awesome. <laughs> so All maybe. Right. And that's about it. And then you guys, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and Rob, I know you're working on something Wormwood-related, but let's skip that for now. You got anything else? Uh, no, that's that's all right. We're gonna have to come that, back to that. That personal things are are chewing up my time. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jeremy, anything you want to talk about this non-Wormwood-related? Not a lot to not a lot to say yet. I, I've been developing this ghost story that I was, I was going to try to turn into a script, but um, recently. I've, decided it might work better as a novel so i'm working now on taking notes to see if i can expand that from my original script i did into a book so it's completely completely separate from wormwood but it it sprung from an idea that i was going to try to tie wormwood into so but that's all i can really say yeah 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 i think a lot of us are like that i mean uh, to get right into it um uh, J- Jeremy and I and, and everyone we're, we're still talking about Wormwood and even though the series of Wormwood is over we really feel like we established a, a world here and we're not quite done telling stories. Um, there's not a lot that we can officially announce yet but I think we can tease a few things and kind of let you guys know what we're thinking about. So first and foremost um, Jeremy and I are developing um, a story um, that is, I guess we can say that it's for a for a comic book uh, concept, sure. and it's it's sure. it's Sparrow and Crow, and we can't say you know we can't say too much about it, but it is something that we're working on and we're very excited about, and it's uh, it, it's a, a direct prequel to um, 
to Wormwood. It deals with the uh, exorcism of Amanda Marino. And uh, it's a story we're really excited about. And so it's something that we're developing, but we can't really say much more about it yet. But that is something. And, and really, we want to hear from you guys if that sounds exciting to you, because it helps us if we know that people are listening and, and, and they want more and they want these stories in different formats. Um, you know, it, it really does help us. Like, would you buy a comic book? Uh, would you go out of your way and go buy a comic book um, if you don't normally buy comic books to get a Sparrow and Crow uh, uh, miniseries? Um, <clears throat> and then other Wormwood stuff, we are talking about other uh, uh, spinoffs uh, and things like that. We, we do have some Sparrow and Crow stuff that we'd like to tell. I think that's going to be probably something that a lot of fans want to hear. And uh, there's not much we can say about it yet, except that, you know, it is something that we're talking about in audio. Um, and then Rob's got a little something that he's working on. And uh, Rob, you want to tease that a little bit? Uh, it's... I, I I just want to talk and talk and talk about it because I really I'm I'm really excited about doing it. But uh, remember what I said before this recording. I said be I vague, know, be vague. I know. I um, <laughs> now nah, go ahead and, and and tell us what what what, what you're working on, but don't without um, details. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's it's uh, I'm I'm typing a lot words, <laughs> and they say stuff, and we'll have people saying them. <laughs> Um, I'm actually I'm actually working on a story for the SNSA, um, and it's um, we're we're we want to try something a little bit different uh, in audio, and it's going to be fast paced, thrilling, and adventure filled with good political mystery. Is so I, I think up? the way uh, Rob's been describing it is sort of a 24 meets Wormwood. So we're going to focus a little more on the SNSA characters. And this is something that Rob's really kind of um, uh, 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 heading up right now. And so uh, there's some really good stuff. The ideas that we've heard thus far are really exciting. And, uh, you know, I think uh, uh, you're going to hear more about that as we go along. But it's still a little too early to talk about it. But, um, you know... It's something that you, you're going to want to stay listening to this feed because we are going to update with some stuff as, as we go along. Um, the other thing I can add is that uh, last year, as part of the NaNoWriMo, the National Novel Writing Month, I did write a um, an entire novel that tells the story of Xander Crow that tells um, one of his earliest tales of uh, dealing with possession and the occult, and then also a, a, a one that precedes... Wormwood precedes Sparrow, but still fits into the larger scheme. It's it's how he gets the hand of glory, um, and that is something that has informed really the writing of Wormwood Revelation and 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 uh, uh, the hand of glory stories and all the stuff we told leading up to it. So it fits in with all of those, and um, it's something that I, I kind of st- I, I did it last year in the month of November, and I kind of gone back to it a little bit, but. It, Wormwood Revelation and the, and Wormwood Portraits kind of overtook everything, and uh, so now I'm really looking forward to getting back and, and, and really rewriting a lot of that and, and, and getting it ready, and we'll see what we do with that next. But that is something that's going to really fill in a lot of backstory about Crow, because I, some of the questions here um, that you guys have asked deal a bit with, you know, Crow and why he became what he became, and, and uh, it's something that I think that the exorcism of, of Amanda Marino's story will will touch on, and and also this kind of touch on big big parts of his past that we never really touch on in Wormwood, and and honestly, it's not totally necessary in Wormwood. It, we gave as much as you needed to know, and it's stuff that's felt, you know. Um, so I think that Wormwood stands on its own perfectly well. But if you want more material about these characters, we definitely have more coming. 
So, um, I want to continue with some of the questions um, <clears throat> with the what's next out of the way. Um, Kim Durham, also on Facebook, asked, All of the Wormwood characters are fascinating, each in their own way. Were any inspired by someone the writers knew? Were the actors' performances inspired by anyone they knew? So we'll skip the actors, but um, for uh, any characters inspired by someone you guys knew? Um, I think I've said a lot of times that, like, with my writing of Jimmy... A lot of that is kind of inspired by my own little crazy... Like, you, you mentioned, everybody here mentioned that somebody either knows a Jimmy details or there's a little part of them that is. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, like, I'm just silly. <laughs> <laughs> I would be the person in the car singing the AHA song. I, I That's me. And so, I mean, and, and that's the, the part of me that I would do on my own with nobody else in the car and Jimmy is kind of my way of doing that um you know with that with other people there and he doesn't give a crap so I mean trying to keep this family friendly I can't say the s word but he doesn't give a crap oh I've and... already sworn it's okay I dropped the f-bomb earlier it's okay We're yeah good. I mean F-N he doesn't give guys. a shit <laughs> and he doesn't give a fuck so that's that's and and I just I love that about Jimmy and I love that he kind of gets to be that outlet and and I get to be really creative with him um by kind of interjecting that little part of myself that wants to just be silly and weird all the time and I get to be Jimmy in in that case and and that's about as far as it is yeah. um but obviously Jimmy's not mine he's yours but I <laughs> like to think that I shaped him a little bit oh, in, in his his eccentricities so and, and so that's a little bit of me and a little bit of, you know, just that idea of who that person is. So mm-hmm. anyone else have any characters that they actually thought of a, a, a person or were inspired by a person, whether they knew or for me, it was just um, the character names, not necessarily who they were. Um, Colin Crane, the ghost boy is named after Colin Malloy of the Decemberists, my favorite band, and they had a <laughs> album called The Crane Wife, so Colin Crane, I thought that was ah, a cool name. I did not know that. <laughs> Very nice. Also going with also going with the, sort of the the bird theme with Sparrow and all that. Um and and Crow obviously. Wow, um, I that never even occurred to me. How funny. <laughs> and um that's, that's one of my favorite things in writing is, is coming up with names for things. Um and then uh Raleigh is uh that was my uh, one, of, one of my grandfather's names um and he was sort of a, a lush and a, and a lounge singer and so I, I always thought Raleigh would be kind of a cool name to use but um, obviously not as horrible a person as, as Raleigh the ghost is <laughs> in the series um, I just thought it was a cool name uh, so that's it for me really I think uh, for me I, I, I don't know if I really drew on anybody in particular but I, I think there's a noticeable difference in, in how I would approach the characters after we did the first eight episodes of season one after hearing how the actors were, were doing the parts mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I always I think I always wrote for them or to push them in certain directions that I thought they could go or would be interesting for them to go into because um, I, I didn't I didn't ever lose them from my mind after those first eight episodes no Any of them, neither really. did I yeah, yeah. So, but and, I and, agree and, yeah. and that that helped me write Pete Menno the first time too hearing the actor do it yeah because yeah. I got this Matt McConaughey type of you know, character going on with Pete Menno, and it was easy for me to picture Matthew McConaughey as Pete Menno. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we did that so. a lot for Pete Menno early on. I think that was one of the things. Yeah, I don't think I had a lot. I think maybe Jimmy Details um, it was sort of the closest to, 
you know, somebody I might, you know, we, I've gone on record saying that Wormwood is very much based on the town I grew up in and, uh, you know, right down to the granite quarries and, 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 and the buildings and the library and the fact that it's not really a town. It has no formal government. Um, <laughs> that all that stuff was sort of me writing a take on, it goes back to what Tiffany said, you know, like, you know, a Jimmy details or, you know, somebody like that. So it, was, it wasn't necessarily me, but it was kind of, the silliest parts of me, but also filtered through like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and um, you know, and, and and then just people I knew, you know. But just sort of that, it was more of a feeling. It was an amalgam. It wasn't a, a specific person. Um, but yeah, Jimmy really his reporting on Wormwood. As since I read it again for the first time in in four years, three years, <laughs> three plus years, you know, like I realized that it was sort of me in a way talking about my town, but adding all this occult stuff to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, yeah, most of them, I think they were, I don't know that it was any specific voice until we heard the people and then it really became that. Mm -hmm. um, John Schultz on Facebook asks, was there anything you had, I'm sorry, was there anything you had wanted to include in the stories but didn't get a chance to? That's a big deal over three seasons. So can anybody think of anything? That's a lot. The hairdresser. The hairdresser <laughs> that we forgot existed. <laughs> um... Uh, my coyote story. That would have been nice. <laughs> <laughs> it got in there in the end, in a way. Yeah, eventually. Yeah, um, I wanted to. I wanted to go more into Deidre's past about the when I found yeah. out that she's like a carnival freak or something. Or came from a family of carnival freaks. I thought that was kind of interesting. So I we sort of hinted at it throughout the series, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I wish I wish we had been able to explore her her past a little bit more. It would have been yeah. fun to bring the carnival to town. Oh, and 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 speaking of paths we didn't take, um, Rob in his big connect everything, he he actually <laughs> created the proto SNSA before it was the SNSA, and it was that Deidre was a member of a secret agency. At the end, she was gonna like call in all the helicopters, you know, down to the diner and just you know suddenly be in like a Nick Fury uh, inspired uh, spy <laughs> suit and all sorts of stuff, as I recall. <laughs> So okay, uh, since the question was asked, I have to, I have to bring this up. I am the psychotic guy who has who basically created the 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 Emily family line going all the way back, linking Emily to Harlan Panic and Cedric and and all these other guys from the first season. I'm sitting there. I'm writing season two or somewhere in there and I'm trying to come up with some good ideas some nice surprise shocking moments and I start thinking of ages of Crow, Sparrow, McQueen and the fact that they've had a child <laughs> I call Dave and I go great idea and Dave shoots me down so this is in response to uh, one of our Facebook uh, um, fans who said the alright <laughs> this was Lisa Paul who says <laughs> In my personal fan fanion, I think I think well she wrote fanon, is that I guess it's like a fan opinion. McQueen Crow's baby wasn't aborted but put up for adoption and then kidnapped several years later. That's not a question, I just like to repeat it occasionally. That's what Lisa <laughs> well, Paul wrote. <laughs> I had an idea at one point in time and it was and it was quickly shot down, but the the baby that McQueen supposedly aborted was actually taken from her by top SNSA agents. And then given to a family, and they secretly watched her, and she actually turned into Sparrow. 
Now, wait a minute. I'm going to call you on this because prior to no, that. we had talked about no, that. No, 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 no. I'm not calling you saying it was wrong. But prior to that, you had wanted Sparrow to be Deidre's kid. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that too. So Rob was sitting there going, but what if it's a Sparrow is a Deidre's kid? <laughs> okay, okay, no, okay. What if Sparrow is McQueen's kid? <laughs> well, this it is, does actually work out that Sparrow could Rob. be. You know, you know. I thought about that though. He could, he, she could have been Deidre's kid. But the McQueen thing, I was thinking about this even on the way over here. And 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 for Lisa, it's so, so yes. There is an insight there. Rob was thinking that way for some time. But I don't think the timeline works exactly right because they we had. Were, if we she's were, in her early it. to mid twenties, then they had a baby twenty years ago. Then he's had the hand of glory for. Twenty, at least twenty some odd years, and uh, yeah, that we've never really established timelines, though. Well, we have, but it's not stuff that the audience has heard necessarily. And, there's and stuff on in top the novel. of that, that would just be weird in a way because there's always, I think, even though it's not really like clearly stated, there's always, I, I think, some sort of little intensity between Sparrow and Crow, and that would just be weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've always thought that the, the Sparrow always... and Crow thing is a is a father daughter relationship yeah in, but, she like does, Luke, but she does say like, that she had feelings for him oh yeah no no in the beginning yeah, it's, yeah, it's like messier than that relationship. yeah 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 luke and leia there you go no it's definitely a messier it's not a strictly father-daughter thing but i think the note we kind of end on is this sort of vaguely father-daughter but vaguely you know they love each other and, and who's to define exactly how that you know what kind of that is but but um no i mean i i'm not sure that the timeline works out because then once you add in paul's story um about uh uh uh, Henry, um, you know, Henry McQueen was seeing Crow at the same time that Henry was, yeah. and that means that was 20 years ago, too. And, and I'm not sure that the timeline really works out. Yeah, um, it, gets, it gets a little messy. We would have had to fudge it. And this, and this yeah. goes back to our earlier, um, uh, when we were talking about editing and how Dave will pull me back and in certain instances and he'll let me run free in other. And this is one of the cases where it was. It, you know, it was an interesting idea, and we kind of played with it a little bit. But then at the end, he finally pulled me off the ledge and said, "No, we're not doing this." Well, there's <laughs> there's a point too where I think I also just was kind of aware that you know what, if you try connecting everything, sometimes it can be too much. Some things have to be organic in the story, yeah. and and that life life not everything is connected to everything. You know, uh, unless you're you know on, on on a mysterious island after a plane crash. Um, <laughs> you know, I didn't want to be so tied to that, and I felt at certain places that you know it was going to pull people out of it because they're thinking about everything connecting to everything. When I wanted people to really be feeling the story, and so yeah, there, there were places where we pulled back from that, and you know, I, I think we found a right the right balance. In the yeah. End. In my in my own continuity, um, I figured out a way that Sparrow is her own daughter. <laughs> Time travel. I call hey, it the Chronos vessel. Um, right. It works. It works out. There's a there's an episode where it could fit in there that she went off and conceived of herself. She has that ability. She is world maker. I mean, yes. Okay, so I want to finish up John's question. Was there any anybody else have any stories that they wanted to include but didn't get the chance to? I do remember personally that we really wanted to have a quiet episode between. Um, uh, Cedric and Elsa in in season two, oh, but yeah. we ended up getting that in, as part of uh, the portraits. We cut it from yeah. season two because we just didn't have time to, to fit it in there, and it, it seemed to slow everything down. So we moved it to uh, that. Actually, may have been the inspiration for the portraits um, in, in some respect. Is that okay? What if we do a bunch of little one shots? Um, yeah. I, I can't think of any stories that I really didn't get to tell, except that I wanted Sister George's arc to come 
to the point that it ended on sooner so that we could have more of her as a stronger character. I, it always bothered me a little bit that she was too weak of a character, but I knew she had to find, but she was so, there were so many characters that we had to focus on more. Um, and, and I would have liked to have spent a little more time with her because I think she could have been a really interesting character. And I love that we ended it on a note where she now has Bishop Grail's broadsword and she carries it around while she's doing her masses <laughs> and stuff, you know. And, and I think that's just a fantastic note to end on. But, you know, I, that's a character I would have liked to have done more with as well. Yeah. I, I always wanted to get back to the uh, Norwegian water beast. I, 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 I always meant to. And... It wasn't until it was we were far too into season three that I realized there's no way to get back to this. So I mean, it, it was kind of written off with a joke a little bit, and I guess that's, I guess that's okay, you know. But I really wanted to go back and kind of further elaborate yeah. on that because it, it was a it was a big idea that got introduced with enough time to cover it if we would have planned it in, but it just it never found never found a place. Yeah, and, and when you think about the endings that we had to have and we had to do right. It was easier right. to certain things were easier to do in small ways like that to write it off in one way. Um, that so, so I mean I I guess the joke idea is is okay you know to have her yeah. directly address the fact that it was a story that never panned out was okay. Um, I also always plan on having Brezier, um in the uh, finale a lot more noticeably than what he is. Mm-hmm. Um, I and, and in fact I, I think all along I, I I had envisioned him being the one who came up with the idea to write it out into a book. Mm-hmm. And it just as we were putting this final episode together, it he he didn't he didn't fit. It, it it was it was adding too much to the story that already was pretty packed to begin with, and it, it just it, it ended up being more natural for her to do it on her own. Mm-hmm. But I always wanted I wanted a bigger send off for him. But honestly, when we finally got to that one little scene that he's in in, in the finale. In the end, now I like that better. Yeah, and people it, it, really like that scene. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I was stressing out over not getting him in the finale because he's set up to be in the finale from the beginning of Revelation, and when we when we finally got to that that one little moment, it it worked so much more perfectly than than having him more integral in the story up to that point. Yeah, yeah. That I, I I I was very pleasantly happy. There's definitely stuff that we um uh that we uh, um kind of had to cast off as we as we figured out what we were writing you know even though we stuck really to what we started out to do there were definitely elements where we were still the details we were still finding as we went along yeah um, you know who i kind of wish we had we had just explored a little bit more was emily saunders yeah yeah i mean she had to die she, she had to die and it, i know she had to die but i wish there was a way that we could have yeah you know i because we we kind of we kind of we we tried to paint her as a little bit of a troubled person, mm-hmm. and she kind of had a secret past with you know, with Brent Saunders and you know, just and and her her affair with Steve Mason, and we never really got a chance to really explore kind of that aspect of her. Yeah, so I, I kind of like that about her, honestly, as as sort of the the victim. You know, it reminds <laughs> it, it, I go back to Twin Peaks, and it reminds me of Laura Palmer, where you don't really know her before i mean she starts the series dead and then you kind of learn all about these little details about her as you need to go along um but no i know what you mean uh, steve haskell is one that would have been a cool character to, to to do more with but again you know that was one where we had to kill people and you know yeah. it was a necessary part of it um it, yeah. it's it's too bad we had to lose the muddy man in, in season one too because he was a fun uh, a, a fun presence to have threatening yeah. 
We talked about bringing him back in some way, but it felt too... I'm very aware of shows that kind of try to reset the status quo and find ways yeah. to get things back. And so I think it was um, Mr. Carrefour in, uh, Carrefour in season two yeah. kind of took the place of the Muddy Man in a way. And... Um, um, you know, ser- serve that purpose through a lot of uh, uh, season two. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I think that that kind of uh, there's probably a million other things that I'm not thinking about right now. But I mean, there were definitely little bits and pieces along the way that we thought of ideas and then we cast them aside as we sort of <laughs> carved out our path, you know. Um, OK, so I want to move along. Um, Blair Bates asked the question, why the drastic change of pace from season one to season two? And then I asked him about this on Facebook and he followed up. In detail, saying the story seemed so focused on what was going on with Xander and the Drowned Woman, then in season two it jumped around and was, and so much it was hard to follow. So I can answer that pretty quickly, and we kind of already covered it, which was that we purposely intended um, season one to read like a murder mystery, you know, and it was very tight, but that took a lot of. Um, that that was very challenging for all of us, especially towards the end. It took a lot of. Uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, cohesion between all the writers. We had a really a lot of collaboration, very tight collaboration, and we had to make sure everything worked. But so in season two, I felt like everybody kind of, you know, had different things they wanted to write about. And I said, well, we kind of solved the mystery for season one. Now let's take the time and create more episodic. And I was specifically thinking about shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer at this point when, the, you know, where they have individual one-off episodes, but there's an arc to it overall. And then you'll have certain sort of mythology episodes that are planted in and then they sort of reach a crescendo at the end. And I thought that's how I want season two to go. So whether that worked or not, you know, is on us. Um, and maybe we didn't get it to work, uh, uh, for Blair, uh, or for some of you, but I mean, that was the intent was that we wanted to give everybody a chance. And, and th- this allowed also, um, you know, uh, Rob, it allowed you to create the SNSA and to really give right. them a chance to shine. I mean, it would be hard to just weave them in, but, to give you a chance, and 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 Jeremiah, for example, really wanted to stick with Cedric and Jacob and um, uh, Rachel, and it was kind of cool for him to create this sort of missing month scenario where we start a month later, but then he got to do this three-part story that was about the missing month and what happened in that time from from their point of view. So, yeah. um, you so, know, and I think I think season two really helped us cap off season three, though. Oh, definitely. So. It expanded the universe. It expanded the world. The idea was now this signal has been cast out and, and things are aware of where the object is and they're going to all want to come to Wormwood. And so it wasn't as linear a story. It was more like now shit's coming down. <laughs> and so we got to do that. So Carrefour was one avenue pursuing um, pursuing them back. And then the werewolves were another avenue. And it was meant to be sort of like all these different crazy creatures that would descend upon Wormwood and culminating with Adramalek, um um, you know, being resurrected into Wormwood. And, and and so I think I felt like, you know, whether or not as it went along, it was hard to follow, but I felt like we did do what we set out to do, which was to create this landscape with all these different little sections to it and then bring it to a crescendo once everyone got back to Wormwood and then everything, ha- all the shit came down with the with the hand and everything like that, um, it, you know, and then culminating with with Xander and and Sparrow leaving leaving Wormwood, which was kind of a shocking ending, I think, for that. Um, and then, yeah, absolutely, it, but it really did set us up um, to do Wormwood portraits, which then allowed us to go back and all these characters we had introduced. It allowed us to do these one-off stories about them to really focus on them. And I really liked, for instance, 
doing a story about Bishop Grail and being able to go in and talk about him and give his whole backstory, which had never been given before, and, and create an interesting character out of him. Um, and then, and then, but from there, that laid all the groundwork that we didn't have to then do that for Revelation. And Revelation could be really plot intense and focus on all the characters running around, running for their lives, and you know, running towards that final, final uh, apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Anyone have anything else to add? I think we're probably ready to move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, Gary Farash again writes: What were some of the most emotionally difficult scenes to write? Then he says, I guess that scene with the sheriff's wife and kid, which we already talked about. <laughs> yeah, that was actually kind of fun for me because Jeremy just set it all up and I just got to go crazy with it. Um, but I really did want it to be emotionally packed at the end when, when she's dying. And I really was trying to find an emotional connection because I didn't want to portray her as just this evil character. But I wanted to show that – and this is something Rob and I talked about for a long time is that they really, she really does love him. you know, um, and, and she's doing this – I didn't want to create any caricature bad guys. I mean, we have enough demons that want certain things that are easy enough to be black and white characters. But I wanted her to, to really have human desires, which is I love my husband, but I'm, I've been born into this family that wants things to be a certain way, and I'm afraid to really part from that. But I'm going to make sure it happens in a way that I can bring my husband along with me. And yeah. so she thinks she's acting in their best interest. She's just not including him in any of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Because, and and there is, yeah. there's a great deal of backstory behind Tom and Lynette that we never really got a good chance to tell. No, that goes back to the other question about stuff we didn't get a chance to do. Yeah, and we have we have a couple of ideas on how to get that backstory out, and that really is actually kind of one of my other projects that I want to work on eventually with Dave because we have we have a couple of good ideas on how to do that, and I think it would really enhance. Yeah. Although I do want to say, Rob, you got a lot of that between between the episode the, that finale with Lynette and also your previous one where he gives a lot of um he tells Chip a lot of stuff about their past. We really did get a lot of the factual stuff out. I think yeah. there's just there's an emotional story there that we could still tell that that really drills more into their 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 rich history and their their sort of tragic love story. Yeah. Um. Uh, uh, Deidre and Wojtek um, saying goodbye to each other was kind of a oh. tough scene to write. Um, yeah. I was like, I had tears in my eyes reading that. That was a really good scene. Yeah, it really was. That was, um, and (laughs) I was writing it, and I sort of, uh, I wrote it and then rewrote it, and I was, the original idea was that she was, she was dying, or, or, but then I I realized that, and I I hope it comes across, um, um, in the, in the episode is that she's, she's already died sort of having to stave off uh raleigh trying to lock him away in in her head which is crazy cornball idea but it's it's it was kind of weird but um uh you know the coming up with sort of like their love story that we didn't get to see in the show but it had to exist for it to work um and it just it, it felt very very real to me at that moment and as i was writing it and um just uh you know, science geek and what was it? And and uh, and Gypsy Princess, yeah. Because uh, thinking back again to you know her her past as a um, carnival girl and uh, just what 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 are these two characters so sort of disparate? And then when we we realized that they were those were uh, that's a romantic coupling, um, I was like that that's an interesting pairing. And and what what was their courtship like? And thinking of that at the very end of it. 
where they're you know. saying goodbye to each other and, and him being very stoic about it I think adds to it a lot um, because he sees this all the time he, he deals with, with death constantly so um, and she's sort of a very no-nonsense kind of person and very mystical and stuff so this is just the next sort of step and it was just sort of peel off the band-aid you know um, and uh, that so that was that was a bit tough uh, writing it and then, um, of course, writing about Gracie Holbrook losing her chickens to that terrible <laughs> coyote in town. Oh, yeah. That was just uh, a mess. I was a wreck. <laughs> I guess, um, uh, I guess uh, uh, that going back to Lynette and, and, and Bradley scene, I, trying to really find that moment where she starts talking about how they first met, I thought that was that – was, it was hard to make sure that I could do that right, and I thought the actors pulled it off really well. Um, but you know, going back to when he first arrived at school, and I, I remember having to go to Rob and, and ask, like, okay, you know, when did he? What's the when, when did he move in? Because I had never really thought about uh, Bradley's backstory in terms of how he arrived in town, but Rob had a whole plan for it. He had a whole backstory there, and I'm like, okay, okay, and then well, I had, had to, <laughs> <laughs> and then there I had to really find, um, you know, like. I wanted to get back to that moment where they, you know, something that they both remember, but that is pure, not not all this other garbage that had come along since. And so that was that was really interesting. And then I guess for me also, t- tough to write the um, the the Rachel Jacob the letter where he reads the letter, because mm-hmm. um, yeah. it was it was hard in a sense that it was sort of inevitable, and I knew what to write, so that wasn't that hard. But I also had to think about this is like a teenage girl who is. This is written before everything happened, before she even dies. So she has all these big plans, and then and, and this is read by somebody after it's all been taken away from him, all that potential taken away from him. And I think I, I, when I kind of boiled it down in my mind to that, I was able to find a really good connection to that, and 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 it just sort of just flowed out from there. So, you know, but I I did think like, well, this is kind of cheesy, and I thought, but that's how she would write it. It would be cheesy, you know. Yeah. You were once yeah. a teenage girl. So I you, was once you, a teenage oh, girl. Yes. That's right. That's right. Before the surgery, uh, um, I kind of had a little bit of a problem with with Chip at first. Um, just just getting the anger and the bitterness down to where it wasn't. He wasn't always angry and bitter about everything, but it was just certain things would set him off. Yeah, and yeah. it was finding the right balance between. You know, because nobody's going to be around a bitter, angry guy forever. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So. And, and it was, I think it was also difficult because he has his lover die in the middle of all of this. And then he's really got to recover from that and not just be this horribly just, you know, suicidal character, you know. And so you, you really did, I think you did a nice job in, in your interplay with the three of them of showing that, but also not letting him be too far down, but sort of a grimly determined character. And that was a nice way to go with that. Yeah. Um, I, I thought I thought Henry's scene, uh, her, her final scene, was 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 tough to write. Oh, I'm so yeah. glad I didn't have to write that. That was a great scene. <laughs> Mostly, it, it it was challenging because I'd never really written her before, and she wasn't my character. So I, this is my first time jumping in and 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 with her, and it was a bizarre scene. And I I knew I wanted it to be very intense. And I wanted it to be very um, graphic and 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 tragic at, at the same time, but I didn't want to betray the character. Mm-hmm. So it was. It was. I rewrote it again and again and again, and still wasn't sure that I I I stayed true to the character. But when it was all done, I'm pretty happy with it. But it was it was it was a real chore, and I, I was nervous about that scene. Well, there was a, there was a curveball with that one too because that wasn't 
the original intent for the character. Exa- exactly. <laughs> we yeah. kept we kept moving around with her, and then um, I, you know I wrote the short story. Um, right. Even then, we still weren't exactly sure how she fit into the, the puzzle at the end there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was just in the writer's room, and and um, I, I, you know, I said, well, what if what if it's not really a hand of glory? What if she's just nuts? <laughs> and and that's like a weird, <laughs> sick idea, but it's also very it sad. Is. Uh, yes, yeah. yes. It really pushed us into a different direction than we were going with it. And yeah, it was one of those things where the, the, the half the reason of the, not half the reason, but you know, the, the purpose of those Hand of Glory stories was to kind of show this journey of the hand. And then I, I seem to recall, Paul, one of your original ideas was that, you know, there's two hands because the first story involves this thief uh, character who gets his hands cut off and both yeah. are taken. And then it's like this the long idea is algebra the f- equation and there's just like there's this one. Wait a minute. What about the other hand? That yeah, be- exactly. Yeah. And, and the idea the in, in Paul's last story was that it was called Left, and it was, oh, yeah, in the earliest incarnations, it was that we finally realized at the end that um, that it, we're not following the right hand of glory, but we're following the left hand, and now that person is entering Wormwood. And that was yeah. the original idea behind the hand of glory stories, is that it would end like that. It used to be um, a guy, too. Yeah, it used to be a guy yeah. that you were calling Lefty at the lefty, time, I think. Lefty, yeah. Um, <laughs> Because because like he had because he had the left if I'm not mistaken he had the left hand attached to his right stump so yeah, he actually had it, two left hands <laughs> yeah it was sort of like this it was like a like a, a Newman kind of the Newman from Seinfeld kind of thing where it was just like this very nefarious guy but like the 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 the, the punchline was that he had two he had two left hands just because that was how desperate he was to have a hand of glory is that he happened to have a, a stump or he needed the hand and then yeah. It just, yeah. You know, he put it there anyway, and it's and so, so then it's that evolved kind of, into Henry, which who was a yeah. great, interesting character. And but we had always intended that yes, she would have the other hand of glory, and that it was going to be some. It was a part of a um, uh, master plan in some way. Um, and, and then and then as we got there, we're kind of like you know, it's not really, it doesn't really work that way. Just the, the overall plot, you know, without getting into the details, it was right. just sort of like we knew. And and, uh, and then Paul just jumped out with that idea. And it so really so just said, sent so us off in a different direction. Yeah, let's yeah. say let's say it's a red herring sort of that you think it's going to be a big deal, and it's actually yeah. instead what it is. Um, hopefully, the way it works is that it's, you know, Crow wins in the end. I mean, he beats the demon. Um, the town is saved, um, but there's also a cost to it, and there there is um, collateral damage, and that's what Henry represents. And all the all this stuff that the the way that Crow operates, he might win in the end. But um, it's not, you know. There's there's an expense to that, right? Um, so right just, now he, just, yeah, now he leaves a wake of destruction behind. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but that, but I think that wake of destruction can also be placed at the hands of, the, of uh, McQueen too, who put her in this position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. It's Another really. Scene. I'm oh, sorry. Go go ahead. No, I was just going to say really quickly about McQueen and, and Henry is it. It's really interesting because Paul was sort of developing Henry and, and, and Rob really owned McQueen and, and it was sort of weird seeing the two of those dovetail and I was kind of in the middle of that. I was talking <laughs> I would be talking to Paul about what Rob was gonna do and I was talking to Rob about what Paul was gonna do. I don't know if you guys ever actually exchanged anything, but I kinda of was the middleman making sure it all flowed together. But in the end I think there's this really nice bit of character drama between all three of those characters that's it's sort of subdued i think and a lot of people won't realize it but it's there under the surface um we just didn't have time to actually put the three of them in a room and let and let sh- you know shit fly because that would have yeah. been fun, oh, that <laughs> I, always, been fun. I, I always like that idea of like the path not taken and then like or the parallels you see like crow has one hand and then you know well she doesn't really have the other hand but <laughs> but yeah. it's uh it's 
you know, so it's uh, so. Wait, so is there's another hand out there, isn't there? Well, I guess there uh, is. I guess there is. I didn't think about that. Um, <laughs> no, but so it's 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 just interesting. It's like two different people are are trying to save the world from. A, well, they have the secret knowledge of that that this occult stuff is really real, and there's there's Crow's way of handling it. There's there's Henry ways of handling it. There's the SNSA's way of handling it. And it's just it's it's all different ways of attacking the same problem, and uh, to different results. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. We're we're uh, running long here, so I'm going to kind of r- rush through some of these questions. But Gary also asked, how did Xander Crow change from his college days to the end of the story? He's cl- clearly grown a little bit. Um, to that, you can kind of tell from what we've already talked about in that Crow's big thing, and this is what he was set out to be, is that he was this brilliant mind, but he was on top of the world. He was very cocky, and then. Uh, the case of Samantha Holloway is what brings him down, and so, and that really changes his whole life. And so that's covered in a separate story, which is what I wrote the the novel about. And it's something that we never really detail in Wormwood because it's not really necessary. I think what we needed to know about Wormwood was that this guy has been haunted by this demon and by this event in his past, and he's always been trying to overcome it. And so Wormwood is about you know, um, uh, you know, a guy who has all that baggage, you know, trying to get over it. And so, yes, by the end of Revelation, he really does change. Um, but but from his college days, uh, as seen in the story Left that Paul wrote, to... Um, uh, uh, to Wormwood, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's gone yeah. down. He's been he's been tormented by this demon twice. Been given a hand, and you know, has now seen that you know, in in his world, his previously known world of psychology, where the mind was every, where anybody could be sort of figured out if you knew how their how they operated and how their mind worked and what the influences they had and everything like that. That suddenly there was some other world beyond that that he just couldn't fathom, and it just completely changed who he was. Right, and you and I think we do a pretty good job of of showing that in uh, the Queen's Tale in portraits. Yeah, you see, yeah, that's that's the perfect example of how he um, changes over time, and and also in Paul's story again, you see him change, but he goes away and comes back. It's yeah, not you really don't his you don't see the the exact yeah. change; you just see the before and after. Yeah. In both of those stories, you see kind of just his transitions, but you don't actually really get that story. So for that full story, that's that's a tale that we still have to tell. Um, so, uh, uh, Gavin Deneen asks, who is your favorite character? Everybody give a rapid response. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I would put Crow and Sparrow together just for their dynamic. And, mm-hmm. and, and Jimmy, I would, I would give the slow clap too for the way he <laughs> ends season three, you know, he, he really rises up in the, in, in the last eight episodes. And so those three are probably my favorites. All right. Tiffany. You know, I have to go Crow, but that's just because I think there's this magnetism to his character, and he's just very intriguing. Um, like, even though I definitely, you know, sympathize with Jimmy, and I love Sparrow too, Crow is probably by far my favorite. And I just think he's fun. I like him. <laughs> Rob? Um, uh, season one Crow, I really loved writing for. Um Dale was fun to write for as much as I wrote for him. Um, <laughs> and um, Tom Bradley. Nice. And Paul? Um, well, I guess, I guess for everybody, it's it's Crow up top and then it's who's in second place. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I loved writing very, very, very evil Raleigh uh, when he was, you know, talking about pushing people's heads into uh, 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 deep fryers. Um, <laughs> it was just a little scary, but... Um, 
uh, Deidre is, uh, I, I just, I love the mystery there. Um, I always thought she was a great sort of counterpart to Crow in a way. Um, oh, yeah. In a different way than, than Sparrow is and, and, and Henry was. Um, but just, uh, I just, I, I kind of like the, the, the bit of tension that there was um, in season one. And I just love that we, there's, there's something very tragic about her. And I, I knew that going in and then uh, I, got to, I got to take her to that tragedy at the end. But, uh, so that, that, was, that was a lot of fun. I loved her. For me, yeah, same thing. I mean, Sparrow and Crow together, some of my favorite stuff of all. Um, also, But to, to write, it, it's also got to be Jimmy Details and Wayne Drexel. I mean, Wayne just oh. became a character <laughs> that was so fun to write. I mean, Jimmy... My coffee. Yeah. Oh, with Wayne. Oh. I don't, yeah, it's Sorry. weird. You know, it's funny, but you, you kind of mentioned it. It's it not just a single character, but it's the interactions. Tom yeah. and Wayne together. I loved writing Tom. I love writing Tom because he's sort of like the exasperated everyman. You know, oh God, not again! You know, and Wayne is just so wacky as his sight. You know, it, it's it, it's a great combination. And then Sparrow and Crow playing off of each other. I I could write them forever. So, and then Jimmy and anyone, um, <laughs> Jimmy and anyone with a lick of sense. No, Jimmy and Sunny. Tiffany's Jimmy and Sunny are great. Great combination. <laughs> and I, I, I loved um, Tom in our, our, our noirish story that we wrote Hello? together, Dave. Yeah, we can still hear you, Tiffany. Are you there? Yep. Okay. Oh, I think we just lost Uh-oh. her. Uh-oh. I'll add her back in. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, this Bradley and, and Crow talking together, the noirish. Uh, That's a, yeah, I just um, don't, yeah. I, I love the idea of he, he sort of, he wants to be the champion of this town, but he just realizes that there's so much going on, you know, beneath the surface that he he has no control over it. Yeah. Why yeah. that happened? That's okay. We brought you back. We we, How, we resurrected was I you. The only one, was I the only one that got kicked out? Yeah, that was you. It was all wow. you. <laughs> I don't know why that happened. Okay. Sorry. Paul hit the no girls allowed button. Oh, no. <laughs> then why are you still here? Oh, oh, nice. Sure. Defend Paul. That's good. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, he also asks, Gavin also asks, what was your favorite resolution or conflict in Revelations? Which is kind of interesting. That's a question we haven't really answered. Um, uh, favorite conflict resolution? I guess for me it was really just landing on the, um, the, the object and um, the fact that I had a whole discussion with Jeremy about how language is an abstraction. And so the way to depower the object that's a signal is to write it down and turn it into a story. And I got to write that line where Crow says, when is the apocalypse not the apocalypse when it's a story about the apocalypse? And and I thought that was fantastic. Um, and so that was probably, I guess that, you know, I mean, that's the main resolution, but that's one of my favorites. Um, I also really liked bringing Jacob and Rachel um, to a close. I, that just was satisfying to have their whole little love story, you know. That's, kind of, that's mine as well. Yeah. yeah, just to be quick. <laughs> <That's my laughs> no, I, so anybody I, else? I, I, I was really happy with um with um this the scene where Jimmy stands up or tries to stand up against Adrenalik. I, I think that's a big oh, big yeah. moment big moment for him. Um, and the fact that he fails at it, I was really really fun to do. Really sad to do, but it it, it was a lot of fun. But um, uh, I, I think bringing um Sparrow's um condition that she's had from the very first episode and tying that in with the Brezier and making this kind of story that runs along the back of all three seasons and only every now and then you know, kind of comes to the surface. I was really happy with how that played out um, and how that got all that, that was resolved with with years of pain for her and, and, and it finally kind of comes to come to focus in, in what, what was that? 
season three, the portraits yeah. episode. Yeah. I, I was really happy with, with, with how that managed to kind of tease itself out for so long and then to come forward with something so bizarre like that and, and still have it work. Mm-hmm. So Brezier, Brezier was, was, was a big accomplishment for me, I think. Yeah, I, I was really happy with him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and then, and then on, honestly, have, having, having the moment where Crow doesn't know what to do in the end when, when he's got Sparrow down in the freezer and he's at a loss. And he just breaks down. Mm-hmm. That was that was huge. I thought. Yeah, that was a nice moment. That was a nice one. Um, Rob, anything, or did you already chime in? I, it's late. Uh, I can't remember now. You know, I, <laughs> I I I don't really. I mean, I guess I guess uh, uh, McQueen's journey in portraits was was nice to write. I, I I think I really enjoyed writing her from beginning to end in that and showing her journey from. Yeah. Yeah, from naive agent to getting mixed up with Crow and and becoming part of his collateral damage to her kind of turning him into her collateral damage, mm-hmm. and you know the whole baby issue and uh, you know just you know I I I I really liked writing McQueen and I thought I, I yeah <laughs> all right yeah, Tiffany um you know probably just kind of what you guys have already said, the the Rachel and Jacob um, tie-up, and then Jimmy's end. So, And again, because <laughs> I have such a strong tie to that person. So, yeah. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Okay, so moving along, um, I think Fabian Badia wrote a bunch of questions, but I think we've already answered most of them. What are you currently working on? What's next for you as a writer, creative, individually? What project will you collaborate on again as a group? Um, what was your favorite scene to write? We kind of already... Well, what was your most difficult scene we already covered? But favorite scene? Did anybody have a? Well, I guess we kind of already covered that. Anybody Grave have diggers. <laughs> Grave diggers. Yeah, I think we've already covered that. Um, and uh, now I have to give it up to Adna May on our Wormwood forum because um, Adna May is one of my favorite. I, I I said she was one of my favorite posters. Um, actually, um, because uh, she bombarded us with an awesome list of questions. So I'm going to try and do these fast, and uh, uh, you guys can answer really quickly. Um, who are you going to miss? Everyone. <laughs> yeah, miss everyone. everyone. Who was the hardest to kill? Dale. <laughs> but, but necessary. <laughs> oh, you mean hardest, like, emotionally difficult, or, like, like Emily? <laughs> You decide, you decide, Paul. Uh, Rowley's pretty tough to kill. Yeah. Uh, I think I heard Jeremy say Lamora. I think that Lamora was, was a tough one. she. She was yeah. hard to kill. Emily was really easy to kill. Because <laughs> we knew. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, no, yeah. I think uh, another one was um, um, Cedric. I, I had really mixed feelings about whether Cedric should yeah. actually die or not. That was a tough yeah. one. Yeah, that was um, tough. If you could bring anyone back, who would it be? Gra- Grail's death scene was also really good. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Grail and Jonesy. Yeah, oh, that was that. that was nicely done. So if you could bring anyone back, who would it be? Lamora. Lamora. We bring people. We bring people back. <laughs> <laughs> How hard was it to tie everything up so cleanly? Really hard. <laughs> really. And it wasn't really that clean. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we did a good job of wrapping everything up, though. And I think uh, we... we we still have some drop plot points from season one and season two. We never really got You're into. You're not supposed to say that. Right? Oh, sorry. No, everything <laughs> went, went by smoothly and perfectly. I, I, and actually, it, if it's if it's a gaping hole, it's it's just because 
the story Blame was rewritten. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but I mean, I think of all the main plots and everything. We, I mean, I think in some cases, some people may not even realize because there's so so dense information. But like you said, like even Jeremy's Norwegian sea creature thing was tied up. Um, you know, we even tied up the mention of the friend in season one. I forgot to mention that earlier. Oh, but yeah. Jeremy yeah. had added this friend character, and and we had talked about him possibly being an angel and other stuff like that. And then and then he was actually worked into the Brezier story as being somebody that Brezier sent. So I mean, there's some case, and I don't. I bet uh, most people wouldn't even didn't even get that because by the time it was mentioned again it was something from season one but yeah. um but it's there i mean we did consider all these things and we really did try to tie up um you know everything as best we could um did wormwood end the way you thought it would end um yes we stuck pretty close to the bible although the details changed a bit as you could see from reading sections of the bible um how close did wormwood stay to the original bible we kind of already covered that did anything sneak up on you in writing did the story guide you instead of vice versa? Um, anybody uh, have any special things that snuck up on them that they didn't expect? DJ oh, dying was a surprise. Jonesy as a Viking, immortal Viking. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that popped up. That's the big nowhere. one, yeah. Yeah. And and guys, nobody, nobody, we kind of already mentioned this, nobody got the, the aborted baby coming back with, you know, Tom and... And, yeah, yeah, yeah nobody, could see, nobody could see that coming. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I was handed the pages and didn't even know. <laughs> oh, by the way, <laughs> um, I think the story guided us, but we guided the story too. Yeah, I, the way I look at it is, we had we had a, a blueprint, but we we always left enough room for ourselves to grow organically and change things as we needed to. As you could see through our conversation tonight, um, you know there are things that we knew that we were going to lay out. Um, I mean, we knew the answer to the end of season season one uh, before the beginning of season one and we knew the basic idea behind season three before we had written season three but you know it did change as season two was written it sort of evolved and you know i would say even before we set out to write revelation we knew exactly what i i knew even as we were writing portraits i think i knew that a lot of stuff about how it was going to end um in season three and then um and you know and then some stuff just still happened organically as we went along even to the very end um let's see whose dialogue came to you most naturally Uh, um (laughs) tom's really (laughs) yeah tom was an easy one tom was easy wayne was easy um wayne was a lot of fun (laughs) yeah (laughs) um yeah, you know, honestly, Crow was pretty easy. When once we once we got into the character, he was pretty easy. Yeah, Crow drunk, had... drunk Crow is easy. The the, oh. <laughs> the one where he's in the house, where he's stuck in the house, and he's like sort of high. That's where you don't have to like it's it's very yeah. just flowing. Yeah. And it's like you don't have to restrain yourself at all. Yeah, exactly. So easy. Season one, first ten episodes of Crow was a challenge at first, but got to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think with most because characters. You can, because you can unleash your inner snarkiness. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. It, well, yeah. Once you start to started to get into him, and especially once uh, you know we heard Arthur Russell doing the voice and everything, it really just sort of it, it's a, it's a combination of sort of finding your inner crow and also hearing the voice externally, and then it, 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 it when you really get into it, it, you can really get into a flow. Um, who? Okay, he, she's got a list of things here. Who would you vote worst driver? Crow, uh, he killed how many? Uh, I would say Crow, because he he he, ran, he wrecked a couple cars, didn't he? 
Oh, that's... In fact, the whole series starts with him with a car wrapped around a lamppost. Yeah, lamp that's true. <laughs> um, most likely to succeed... Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> Resurrection tour, baby. Um, you know what? He died and came back to life. I'm sorry. That makes you a winner. <laughs> Best eyes? Probably one of the probably one of the corpses, right? <laughs> one, one of the heads, the heads oh, rolling the around. Heads, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm they, sorry. They, they, they have that milky quality. Uh, I'm there sorry. You. This was all for the people you've worked with first, not the characters. But we're doing the characters oh. first. Oh. So, um, best eyes, and then most likely to end up in jail. Crow. Crow. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that those are the those are the the categories, and now uh, how about the people we've worked with on Wormwood? Worst driver. <laughs> I don't think I don't we, we know each other enough in real life to be able to make those determinations. <laughs> Probably not. But but I want best eyes. That's what I want, <laughs> and and most likely to succeed. I I already broke myself for that. <laughs> wow! There she goes plugging herself into the spots. That leaves that leaves only most likely to end up in jail. Uh, which clearly, a... since we've all seen the inside of Jeremy's mind, that's clearly that's Jeremy. Yeah. Yeah, it's gotta no, be. I actually don't think Jeremy will actually ever get caught. That <laughs> is problem. a very yeah. good point. That's a very good point. I, as, <laughs> long as, you, as long as you purge it all on the writing, it doesn't come out in real life. <laughs> I, I honestly believe that Dexter is, is a recreation of Jeremy's life. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> oh. I'm, not, I'm not saying anything. This is okay. going out to the public. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to continue on here. What did you learn from Wormwood? Let Jeremy write all the twisted shit so that it doesn't come out in real life. <laughs> yes. uh, I, uh, nothing. <laughs> no, I, think we, I think we covered that one. With, you know, we, we, yeah. so our right process. Our process. Yeah. Our pro- yes, yeah. our process. Do you think there are more stories in Wormwood? Yes, we've talked about Well, no. I, I will say this. The, the story of Wormwood is done. But there are more stories set in that world. Um, we talked, but if you notice, most of the stuff we talked about is an SNSA sh- uh, story and Sparrow and Crow stories, which would likely not be set in Wormwood. So the only thing I really see myself finding more tales uh, of Wormwood would be like an anthology type of thing, you know, tales of Wormwood set in the past or, or something like that. I could see stuff like that, but it wouldn't be directly related to this conflict and, and uh, uh, this this particular uh, you know series. Go ahead. I'm sorry. The only thing that I could actually see us doing, going back to Wormwood to revisit, would be the Tom and Lynette story. Yeah, you'd like to expand on that more. Yeah. 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 And, um, well, you know what? We, we could do a holiday special, and <laughs> they could I, be the one throwing the party. That's actually one that I would like to do, is I'd like to do a Halloween story and then and then put that on the air. Um, and I may I may still do that, if I can get it together in time. <sighs> I was thinking more Star Wars and Ewoks and a musical mm-hmm. number. I, I, I still I, – I don't know if – I don't – Jeremy, I don't know if you were, you were in on this conversation, but I called Dave up a couple of years ago and was thinking about trying to write a uh, uh, a telenovela. I remember that. We should have done <laughs> well, that. Well, we, we actually still, had we – yeah, we, we should do that. That was a writer's that, meeting. Didn't we have a whole discussion about how we were going to do a, a novella version of Wormwood? Oh, and, like, we were talking about a musical a, at some point. We were talking about a musical. A, but we had a, a, a novella version that was all in Spanish, and it was just all the actors just saying their lines but, like, totally delivered, every, like, a Spanish Everything amped opera. up, over, overly dramatic. That would be <laughs> – 
incredible and, and no translation or anything it would just all be spanish yeah. and you know but it would just be audio it would be like 10 minutes long and then just <laughs> <laughs> oh my god uh it would be great okay that so would, that... sorry go ahead no never mind go um ahead. uh anime's next couple questions i think we've already covered does have it forming films have any other projects going on on the horizon if you could do it all over again what would you do differently we've kind of already talked about that is there another genre you'd like to write anybody have something Working on an erotic western called Sex Gulch, <laughs> which I think Sex Gulch, Sex Gulch, which is uh, I think you'll enjoy that one uh, when that uh, comes out. Okay. I don't know how I'll be releasing that one. Lived it, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. So uh, you can lead a, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it. Exactly. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> um, um, you know, I, I mean, I think we've all written different styles before, and I, you know, I've, I've I've written a bit here and there. I really do like working with with some elements of supernatural, so I think probably whatever I write next will will have some of that in it. But I, I've done some like sci-fi stuff, and 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 I, I'd like to do more comedy and stuff like that. But you know, what I, one thing I liked about Wormwood is that we were able to get everything into it. It is funny. You know, it does have the supernatural stuff. It does have the mystery aspect of it, and it is dramatic and just good character interaction. So it's got like four out of five things that I'd want to do anyway. So, you know, st- stuff like Wormwood really works for me. Um, is, uh, okay, is that, uh, would you, how would you describe your own writing style? That's a tough one because we're, what are we talking about, prose or, or, or our, screen, our script writing here? I don't know, anybody have an answer for that? I don't think any of us have really defined our style. I know when I write prose, I tend to try different styles on, like I'm trying on ladies' undergarments. Um, And uh... again, Um, I try to be I try to be conversational. That's that's one thing I I don't know. That's what I I aim for anyway. Jeremy and I, Jeremy definitely established a sort of twisty dialogue that maybe we wouldn't have done in some of our film scripts, but with audio, with that being the, the, the major thing, I mean, there were conversations we had about how twisted this dialogue got and, and could the actors pull it off. So, you know, if there's anything about our script writing style for audio is that we allowed to, we, we allowed ourselves really to, to um, flourish uh, the dialogue, you know, and let it, to, just to let it sort of flourish and twist around and become whatever it needed to be. So, yeah. Um, did you ever? Oh, this one's for you guys, um, and maybe for Jeremy. Said, but since we edited most of this stuff and put the sound effects in, did you ever put unusual sound requirements into your scripts just to mess with your sound engineers? No. Uh, carnival uh, noises. I think Paul at one point described something as being Enya in a sewer, which I rather like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that was. What was that? That was Rachel. That was in Rachel's head. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was getting I, towards I, the end there. I, like, I want to have fun. I tried to be as nice as possible with my sound effects. Yeah, knowing I would have to edit stuff, I always tried to be simple as possible. I noticed that Jeremy would sometimes give himself big, difficult, ornate uh, soundscapes, but then he was editing those too. So I'm like, okay, whatever you want, man. <laughs> Um, would you ever consider doing a live or reunion episode? Uh, we've kind of covered that, but we, we actually did early on talk about doing a live reading at some point. Um, so the cast would definitely be down for it, and that's something since most of them are in L.A., or they're all in L.A., um, if they were all available. It's, it could be something that happens at some point, um, like a live recording or somewhere. Um, have you received any unexpected responses to your work on Wormwood? 
I received a thumb in the mail the other day, actually. Oh, that was from me, actually. Oh, right. Well, well, yeah. that, was, that was an unrelated thing. That was, that was a love note. Right. <laughs> sort of a Van Gogh thing I'm trying. I, yeah. I have people who are my friends on Facebook who I didn't even know, like Fabian, who submitted a, a question. Like, he's a really nice guy, but I didn't even know who he was until he asked for my friend, my, my you know, friendship on Facebook. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> New friends. I, I have a couple of friends and some of the actors, you know, um, who yeah. are friends on Facebook. And they just kind of like asked out of the blue. And I'm like, hey, people like me. That's awesome. <laughs> or they like what I'm associated with. That's cool. Yeah. So, but that, that, that's Worm probably Wormwood is helping it. Tiffany make friends. Exactly. Because I'm, I'm socially inept. So, <laughs> um, but like, you know, some of the little plugs that we'll occasionally get, you know, in the media that are unexpected, like that link you sent us about the Guardian and and stuff. That was something that was. Yeah, there was an article in the expect. Guardian about about uh, audio dramas on the web that where we were mentioned. That was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. There's nothing. Uh, I mean, it's all unexpected, I guess. The fact that anybody listens and anybody likes it is always a joy when we get these little emails yeah. and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think early on it was seeing people from all over the world send us emails. Um, uh, uh, you know, we got some fan art from Germany. We, we would get people oh, from yeah. Ireland, um, you know, talking about how they love the show. I, I, want, I guess one of my favorites is when um, uh, we'd have uh, uh, Brits, you know, write us and say that Xander's uh, uh, was perfect, you know, because I always worry, you know, yes, it, it, it's, it's a British guy doing um, the dialogue, but, uh, but uh, you know, are we, are we – do, are we portraying it right from the dialogue stage? And so that's always nice to hear that we were. <laughs> um, what, is there anything? Uh, no, I can't think. Jeremy, can you think of any other emails that we've gotten that unexpected? I'm trying to think. Um, I'm sure we have. I really should have pulled up. Um, I, I have a. Like our old emails. <laughs> yeah. But I, we've I, gotten I, a lot over the years, and it's it's really, it's you know, like I said, it's always great. But, uh, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's... it's. It... It was the guy who said he was, um, he claimed to be Dave's brother, <laughs> and it turned out to be like a spam bot kind of thing, like in just an automated system. That was kind of weird. I remember that. That was a weird night. A lot of emails about that. Do you yeah. think this is for real, guys? <laughs> asking for money. <laughs> but my my spam pop brother was a prince in Nigeria. That's what I remember. And I mean, right, was, and I was just like that. Oh, hey, 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 all tell those that bastard he owes me my money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he knows. But he just bought a new Vespa. Um, <clears throat> I mean, he did. Um, uh huh. <laughs> a Vespa, Dave? Really? <laughs> you don't see me on a Vespa? No. <laughs> I, I definitely see Dave on a Vespa. Yeah. There you go. So uh, you saw Dave in a bath too. So I mean, come on. <laughs> Hypothetical. Uh, <clears throat> before we completely Allegedly. go off the rails, Adam's last question is: How are you planning to celebrate the end of Wormwood? How are you going to put it to rest? Um, well, with a bunch of postmortems, um, probably we're we're going to do a wrap party for the cast when we can get our act together and have uh, a bottle of scotch. Have a bottle of scotch. Uh, I've got a bottle of scotch ready to go. A good cry, and um, you know. <laughs> Uh, okay, so so that's from our forum. Um, I also posted the question on the Audio Drama Talk uh, forum, and David G. asked a question that I thought was very interesting. It says, one thing that struck me was that Dr. Crow seems to have a great deal of technical occult knowledge, but doesn't necessarily use much of it. You don't see him summoning the Sago, Prince of the Infernal 
seraphim to obtain knowledge of the locations of buried treasures and the like. Oh, that old chestnut. I know. When, <laughs> why and when did he begin his search for arcane knowledge? So... First of all, I mean, we had so many que- so many conversations in the writers' room about Visago and why he hadn't used him yet. But um, <laughs> sorry, we're not making fun of you, David G. I promise. It's just that was a really specific little nugget to pull he's out. In, he's in a glass case, and there's a little hammer. <laughs> um, but but uh, but seriously, I thought this was an interesting question. In case of mystical emergency, break glass and release genie. <laughs> I, I like to this I like to this um, question because it is really pertinent because we sort of start with with crow if you just take wormwood alone as a series we start with crow who is pretty tormented and it's you know something in the past and, and we, we learn about Samantha Holloway we learn about failing to exercise Amanda Marino um, and we learn that he has this hand of glory and he's pretty tormented by his past um, but at the same time he has all this knowledge but he doesn't really use it for selfish gain necessarily and i think that's actually a salient point um and uh jeremy do you want i mean we we talked a lot about this in the in the in terms of the finale in terms of uh crow's motivations his selfishness when he is selfless um you know what sparrow changes in the end um and what she chooses to change and what she doesn't choose to change and those kind of all tie together in my mind um um but uh, uh you know crow's motivations are very interesting to me in that I don't think Crow is was ever, and Jeremy, you can chime in on this too, but in my mind, he was never into the occult for any sort of personal gain, but it's really trying to um, exercise his own personal demons. Right, and, and he ends up falling deeper and deeper into that the more he tries to fix himself and a so, little bit. Yeah, and, and as self-serving as he seems, he takes these cases, I think, because he's... Um, um, <clears throat> He takes these cases because, in some way, he's trying to get over his past failures, and so he's sort of he's you know he's sort of tormenting himself or trying to get over his own torment a little bit. So I don't see him as sort of a treasure seeker or an adventurer type character, but somebody that's trying to figure it all out. And he does it wrapped up in a very bristly package. But you know, uh, I don't think he's as self-serving as he ever uh, uh, claims to be. Yeah, I mean, my my view on it, I mean. This is just my own personal opinion. Is that he just never really it, it it probably never really occurred to him to use use his knowledge or gifts in that manner because it seemed I I, don't know, I think he also for- knows that any any encounter is a double edged sword. You know, you don't make deals with demons unless you absolutely have to because you know it can go very wrong and you know you know people can die and so. I don't think you just do it for for the sake of you know finding gold because he could end up hurting someone else. Yeah, you know. So, so yeah. Um, so I think magic's that, that's, hard. Yeah, magic's hard. <laughs> that's how I saw it. It was just like it's not it's not like you know a Dungeons and Dragons thing where you can automatically do. Uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to reference things specifically. I'm just going to say he can't you know do the the potions and spells and stuff as easily as in some forms of fantasy and horror like it's just yeah. it's, it, i just thought of it it was just it's hard it's it's, yeah, it, it, it's hard it's painful when he revives the bodies in the the bottom of the uh in the minnows um office you know he, he has to cut himself and it's very painful and he's tormented doing that i mean it, it's never anything that he would want to subject himself to unless he absolutely had to 
Yeah, I mean, I think we tried to treat the occult stuff there. It, 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 we're not writing Doctor Strange or any kind of you know mystical right. adventurer type. Yeah. Thing, but but this is stuff that it's always dangerous. It's always with a cost, and uh, um, you know you you mess around with it when you need to. And we may have played you know we may have played it a little unevenly in places where he he does little things here and there. But I think for the most part we refrain from him using it unless it's something that he actually needs to do to get to the bottom of something. He's definitely a guy on a search for truth and for knowledge. And, and, and you know, again, it all comes to comes down to getting over his tragedy. You know, everything is shaped by that instance where a demon possessed a little girl, and he thought she was just mentally ill, and he completely failed her. So you know, it it all started there. But you know, it, it's so it's not like you know, now I'm going to go fill my utility belt with all sorts of magical treats, and you know, <laughs> yeah, he's he's not a wizard. He's yeah. just he yeah. knows some wizardy stuff if he has to use yeah. it. So I think that's I think we all kind of see him that way. So I think that that's that's a good answer. Um, last couple questions here. Um, Gary again from Facebook says, "How did you come up with Crow's personality? How much of it was the actor? More than anyone, he changes throughout the series, um, which he kind of already referenced. Um, we we kind of covered most of this, but early on, um, I, I I don't know, Jeremy, if you want to. I mean, like, I'm talking like really early on. Definitely, Arthur Russell established a character quite a bit." Um, but very early on, uh, you know, we still knew he was going to be sort of angry and sarcastic. And I don't know exactly where that came from other than I kind of always thought of him as, as House. Uh, oh, yeah, Dr. Absolutely. House from the TV show. And, and we kind of knew he was sort of this cantankerous, you know, angry guy. Um, um, and I don't know. I don't – that was just sort of – and I knew, that, I knew that that had to do with the fact that he was really hiding this inner pain. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Well, I'm just tr- trying to think. When I got the first grasp on him, was I mean, it was with the first scene that I, I ever touched, and it, it was a scene with him and Sparrow um, when when he is breaking out of his apartment when, when the goons are banging on the door, and it it was he felt real to me as soon as I had him bantering back and forth with her. Um, I mean, really, in, in that moment, he, he felt completely fleshed out, and how he dealt with her. So. I don't. I don't know. I mean, he's. I mean, he, he's definitely in that house mold where he's the smartest guy in the scene. He knows he is. Yeah. You know, and you know, he's he's he, he's fast, and he's he's sort of. It was very much he, in an awareness also that that house was was based on Sherlock Holmes, and so it really sure. was trying to create this Holmesian character. But you know, it was it was fun for him to be sort of angry and British, and you know, um, uh, I don't know. It just kind of all came together that way. But but I, again, I rooted all back to we knew that this was masking a lot of pain, which is very similar again to to House. Yeah. Um, um, okay, so last question that we have is from John Schultz again from Facebook. Um, John Schultz asks, are there any writing skills specific to the audio drama, like having characters describe the action that would be seen in a visual medium, that have been beneficial to your other projects outside of audio drama? It's a good writer question to end on. Um, Anybody have anything to say about that? Um, Not so much. I mean, like I can say that I haven't been able to necessarily transfer it to any of my outside writing because I don't really... Um, like, like I, I'll write books, and those are very visual. You can have the the reader see that, or like if you're going to write a script, it's it's meant to be visual. So it's kind of a whole new different world. Not that it's so different now that we've been doing this for three years, 
Um, but it, it's totally different to do audio, and there's a lot more exposition, I find, in the dialogue that you have to do. You have to get really creative in showing what's going on without actually showing it. And, you know, especially, like, with the sound, when, you, when you're trying to describe sounds for something going on, it, it's a very different thing. And, I mean, hats off to our, our sound guys <laughs> for being able to do it, but... Um, yeah, like I, I can't really transfer that mm-hmm. into my other writing. But, you know, it, it's been a good exercise and it's something that even though I can't use it, you know, in writing a book or something, it, it has taught me about trying to find creative ways of, of accomplishing an end that wouldn't, you know, that I wouldn't otherwise think of. So, Yeah, it just makes me more aware of, of how I use description and how I write description now. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And in in having to write um, dialogue that is more expositional than in other forms of writing and more descriptive, um, it also you also get used to being creative about it and hiding it, sort of. Um, mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. how you have a person explain to another person what they're seeing, and it feel natural, and it not feel like I am telling you what this is because. There are people I have no listening other way to, to us. Show it, yeah. And, yeah. So it's the more, I mean, just the more you do that, the more um, creative you are and the quicker you are coming up with dialogue like that. Um, and that, I guess, it sort of subconsciously extends to other kinds of writing. Um, it, it might not be readily apparent, but um, I think just whenever you have to do a challenge like that, it just tightens up your writing overall. Yeah, I, I would add to that. Um, I think it did kind of help me with dialogue a little bit in that because I knew that a lot of it had to rely on conversation back and forth, that it really helped me to push, um, you know, what makes good dialogue? How do you get the characters' desires to come through in dialogue? And what's necessary and what's not necessary? Um, and then and then to that, I would also add that there's that sort of negative space effect, which is not what did I learn in audio drama that helped me, but when I go back to another medium and I can now use visual, you know, what what was I not using that I can now go and play with? Mm. And so it makes me more aware of every other tool in the toolbox, I guess, you know. And, and, and so it's kind of been fun in some cases to go back to a prose style or to, uh, you know, to go to a filmic style where now I can tell more visually and I don't have to worry about it. And so, you know, I, be, being aware of the absence of it makes you notice it more when you have it again. Mm-hmm. Jeremy, did you want to add any last thing to that? No, no, I, I, I agree with all that. Um, dialogue's definitely been the, the most crucial aspect for me. It, I had trouble at first writing without the visual aspect to it, and now that I've been do, doing the audio stuff for so long, I'm concerned that I'm going to have trouble writing now with a visual style added back in. <laughs> so, but, um, you know, so we'll see what happens as I'm kind of trying to flesh out this, this other project. But I definitely feel that I've I've gotten better with with crafting dialogue, crafting more fun, interesting dialogue. Not necessarily always just functional, but but lively dialogue. Hey, yeah. Jeremy's new new film is actually he told me a little bit about it, and it's a uh, it's uh, two guys in a room with blindfolds on, told from their point of view. So that's just <laughs> that, that's it. Sorry, that was maybe too late to try that joke. All right, so. I was like, oh, is that a real? Is that really what it is? Was like, oh. Okay. <laughs> 
It could I work. Think Ryan Reynolds is doing something like that. <laughs> yeah, his buried movie. All right, yeah. so that is all the questions. We've been at this for a long time, so I uh, I think we should wrap it up here. Um, I know a lot of people have to have to work in a few hours in some cases. So um, I want to thank you all uh, for joining us on on this uh, post mortem session. Probably gonna have to break this up into two parts, but. Um, you know, I, I re- really want to say one last time that uh, I really appreciate all the writers who came on board, um, even those who are not with us tonight. Um, um, that sounds like they died, but you guys know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> even those who are not with us anymore, but live on in spirit, uh, in our hearts. Um, <clears throat> but seriously, it, it's something that Jeremy and I set out knowing that we want to do a big project, but we really like collaborating with one another and we wanted to bring other people into it. And I really couldn't be happier with... Uh, the final project and what product and what we came out with and what everybody added to it and how you guys all shaped our vision. So thank you very much. Of course. It was a pleasure. Thank, thank you. you for bringing us a lot aboard. Of fun. All right. So that will wrap up this edition of Wormwood in the final postmortem. Uh, stay tuned and send us your listener questions for an actor's roundtable. We're going to try to put that together next. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to try and do that. It'll probably be a little shorter because these writers are goddamn chatty mother. Anyway, um, <laughs> but we've kept them on long enough. And so uh, so thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed and I hope you come back for more. And, uh, you know, hopefully in the future we'll be able to tease uh, more of what's coming up in our in our future projects. Maybe we'll have uh, better announcements at a future date. So soon. That's it. Thank you guys one last time and have a good night. And, good night. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll see you back in town. Thanks, everyone. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. And that wraps it up for our writer's discussion show. Thanks, everyone, for asking your questions. And I'd like to remind you that we are looking for questions for our actors. We'd like to have an actor's roundtable discussion show similar to this one, but talk to some of the cast. You guys usually have some really good questions, and some of the questions you asked in the, of the writers can be applied to the actors, but I'd like specifically to look for some, some more questions specific to the acting process and the process of, of producing and acting and performing Wormwood. So if you can get those questions to us you can send them to us at wormwood at habitformingfilms.com you can post them to facebook at our facebook page facebook.com slash wormwood show you can direct message us or reply to us at on twitter which is uh twitter.com slash wormwood or you can post them in the comments section of our website which is wormwoodshow.com but we'd love to hear from you so please let us know let us know if you enjoyed this chat if you'd like to hear more like this let us know what you think of the whole series we really uh, really helps us when we hear from you and you tell us what you think about what we're doing so until next time i'm david acampo and we will see you back in town yet again 